We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Monday, November 14th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. Uh, DJ, as you can tell, um, I'm doing a flu podcast. Uh, I don't actually have the flu, but I have a sore throat. So this is a sore throat game coming here. Um, how was your weekend? Well, who cares how my weekend was? We're trapped in a box together. I did not realize that sore you throats were aren't contagious. Are oh they? My God. Maybe I guess maybe the cause of the sore throat. Strep throat. Tennis. I'm assuming that's probably I do not what have you sore have. Throat. I do not have <laughs> strep throat, right? <laughs> it's clearly it's affecting my my ability to speak. Too. Mental capacity um, was the first thing to go, huh? Yeah, God, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, I mean just you know another sorrow filled weekend here with the Jaguars on Sunday. It's just a, a great way to round out a weekend is seeing your uh, favorite sports franchise just get pounded into the ground once again. Um, but let's talk hoops. Yeah, um, I mean a lot of interesting. Interesting things are happening in the NBA, yeah. though. Like we're at a point, you know, where we're past that preseason allure and whatnot. Yep. The glitter has kind of gone away. We got some like real live things to talk about after, right. you know, just struggling to get through the preseason. Let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, so I was away this weekend. I was I was visiting friends uh, in Indiana. So this is one of those weekends where like I really, you know, like I've, I'm always you know on my phone, on my laptop, watching watching games, as you know a lot of us are. 
And this is one of those weekends where I just could not do that. So I had to just, you know, squeeze in here and there to check up on things. And like, it's just the worst, like, what do people call it? FOMO, you know, fear of missing out on things like this, where it's like, oh, you know, I just didn't get to watch any of the big college basketball games on Friday. And I was driving for, you know, Hornets Cavs on Sunday, which, which was, you know, really tough to, to not be able to watch LeBron. Um, but a lot went on last night. Um, specifically last night, Andrew Wiggins, 47 points. Um, not that this is a super unexpected, I guess, from Wiggins. Um, you know, the way he's played early this season, the, the, the kind of flashes that he showed often over the second half of last season, but you know, far and away the best game of his career, that goes without saying. Um, I mean, in typical Wiggins fashion, four rebounds, three assists, didn't give you a whole lot outside of scoring, but 14 to 21 from the field, got to the line 22 times. Um, I mean, he really made it look easy. You know, watching the, the condensed version of this game this morning, it was... I mean, you could tell he knew he was locked in right away. He was banking in long three pointers, you know, things like that that you kind of have to have happen to have a game like this were happening. And and the one thing that stuck out to me most is like, you know, Wiggins doesn't have like a crazy handle. You know, his his pull up jumper is, is nice, but it's not you know elite at this point. He he just gets to the rack so quickly. His his athleticism, it's kind of like what we talked about with Zach Levine, where he's not just using that athleticism, you know, to be a leaper in you know transition dunks. It's you know, take a step and he can cover, you know, a foot or two more than some guys can because he's so athletic and, and that, that allows him to, to kind of knife his way through the defense. Baby Giannis, if you will. Yeah, I mean, kind of, yeah, in some way. I mean, Giannis has the, more of like the length, you know, like the physical length to him, whereas Wiggins, you know, he, he can just explode. He, he, he like jumps out more than he does up, I guess, if that makes sense. Like his like ability to long jump with the ball and, and just, you know, when other, when other players would need to take another dribble or would need to adjust their body, he can just kind of float to the rim and it's... I mean, it was impressive watching him. And again, it was against the Lakers. You know, he was being guarded by Nick Young for part of the night. But still, 47 points is 47 points. Right. Only did that with two three-pointers, um, which is even more incredible. He went to the line 22 times and converted 17 of those attempts. That, for me, is great. And as he matures and he goes through the maturation process, that's what he's going to need to do because, you know, I mean, we talk about somebody like James Harden. When you need we, – we always kind of go back back and forth on, on a larger debate – um, when you need a bucket, who would you go to? And like James Harden is always the answer. That's because free throws count. The guy can draw a foul on any time he touches the ball. And seeing Wiggins go to the line 22 times, you're hoping that he matures into a player just like that, where going to the foul line counts just as much as any fadeaway jumper, as any three-point shot should in terms of how good he is in just getting pure buckets. And that's what this team needs. Um, so yeah, it was pretty impressive. But uh, again, you know, we've seen little spurts out of him. Obviously, this is this is the pinnacle of all those spurts. But can he do this long term? The cool thing, you know, it is against the Lakers, Nick. But uh, I will say, um, in a few years, I mean, this could be a budding this could be a budding matchup or something like that. So yeah. to me, he's looking at the players across the court from him and saying, you know what, these are these are the true guys that I'm going to be battling with over the course of my career. I want to go out and state my dominance right from the get go. If you look at it like that, then you know maybe you can put a little more added interest into just you know going out there and doing it against Nick Young if you want to. But overall, it's good to see in that pivotal third year. I like to t- like to talk about him making even more of a jump, even though he averaged just under 21 points per game last year. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a good he's a good all-around player, but it is kind of funny how we're still waiting for him to take yet another jump. Yeah, I think if Towns didn't have the rookie year that he had last year, we'd be talking a lot more about Wiggins, and it's a game like this that I think kind of reminds you of like, the ceiling that this guy has. I mean, this you know number one pick three years ago, and he's already 
you know, Towns was so good last year that it's just, you know, all they need is Wiggins to be like, okay, now as a second option to Towns. Whereas like, I mean, people kind of forget that coming out of college, Wiggins would, you know, if you compare him and Towns at the time that they came out, like Wiggins was by far the bigger prospect, I think. Um, I mean, Towns was a little bit of a late bloomer at Kentucky. Really wasn't considered the number one pick until probably late in that college very, season. Very late in that college yeah. season. And, Up and until Wiggins draft was kinda, night. Wiggins was kind of the incumbent number one pick for, you know, since he was like a junior in high school for that class. And, you know, obviously Towns developed so rapidly and, you know, all credit goes to him. N- nothing against any, you know, draft prognosticators, but... I think people just kind of maybe forgot how good Andrew Wiggins can be and how good everyone thought he could be a couple of years ago just because he had a little bit of a lukewarm start to his career, and it, it wasn't really all that bad by any means. You know, I've been as, as down on Wiggins as just about anybody, um, mostly because I don't think he really does anything outside of score, but it was a lot easier to criticize that when he was only scoring 17 points per game or you know getting getting to 20 points every other night. If he's averaging 26 points per game like he is right now, you can't really criticize him if he's only given you four rebounds and, and two assists. Well, here's where I will criticize him moving forward if this stat line, if his average stats per game don't change, and that is with assists. Assists. If you're going to be scoring 47 points per game, you sure as heck are going to be seeing some double and some triple teams, meaning that you better find a way to work in your teammates. Because, I mean, if you're just moving along that fast and you're scoring that much, the opposing defense is going to collapse on you. And I'm not talking about, you know, the game after a 47-point game. I'm talking about moving forward. He should find himself himself in situations where it's going to be a lot easier to get assists. Is he going to be looking for those assists is where I'd be ready to criticize him in another few months or so as he continues to mature. I won't do it quite yet, but if we're looking for a knock, a player that scores this much should also have uh, more assists. He averaged 2.1, 2.0, and right now he's at 2.2. I'd like to see that increase at some point this year. Yeah, and he does so much damage off the dribble. You know, it's not like he's just spotting up and shooting threes and you know getting to 47 points. It's situations where there, there's going to be nights where you know he he just doesn't quite have that same step. You know, where where he's able to just kind of do whatever he wants and have his way with the defense, and that's where the passing comes in. And yeah, and like you said, I mean, this is what makes this T Wolves team so dangerous long term is. Sure, go ahead and double Wiggins, but that means you're leaving, you know, Chris Dunn or Zach Levine open on the other side, or you know, you're bringing someone and taking them off of towns. Like they have these weapons. I, I, there's only so many guys you can say you need to double, you know, on a given team, and that's the same thing that really makes Golden State so dangerous. Um, but yeah, Wiggins, impressive performance. You know, maybe the best, uh, the best individual performance that we've seen throughout the NBA thus far. Obviously, there's been better all-around performances. You know, guys like like Davis and then even you know Zach Levine said some impressive games. Uh, really, it seems like we've had a ton of like crazy individual performances, considering every team's only played like eight or nine games. Yeah, it's a coming out party for the year of the individual. Um, mm. We can break down into it. Are they going to translate into wins? And so Harden is trying to do that, obviously having a lot more assists. Davis have gone on and on. I don't want to spend any time on it today, Nick. Um, but his individual performances have not translated into wins. Can can Wiggins find a way to score a lot of points, incorporate his team, and get the W? Because, I mean, let's face it, we can we can talk until we're blue in the face about fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. He's the next, you know, the next next big thing in fantasy but in terms of winning games on the court this could be all for naught if he doesn't find a way to incorporate his teammates or utilize these big outbreaks to getting the win and not just padding stats hollow numbers like you like to say yeah, yeah i mean we'll see uh, i think you know wiggins has never been a great passer um i mean you can i mean look at like derozan you know like derozan basically puts up what wiggins is doing right now like that's what derozan's been at these last few years and like it works for him it works for him in that system 
Um, you know, Wiggins, I think on paper has the ability to be a better defender. He's just as athletic, if not more athletic, even than DeRozan, which is saying a ton. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't want to touch too much on DeRozan. I think he's gotten plenty of ink over the last week and rightfully so. I mean, his, the way that he started off the year has been, uh, nothing short of incredible. The, the Raptors get the Cavs on Tuesday night in Cleveland. Uh, I think that's going to be obviously a really interesting game. That's an NBA TV game. And I think if there's if there's any team right now that wants to kind of put an end to this DeRozan start and can put an end to it, you know, it's the Cavs. And when they start trying defensively, uh, they certainly have the personnel to do that. Serge Ibaka, back in OKC for the first time uh, this season. Uh, probably the only time, I would think, right? I don't think the Magic uh, play at OKC Yep, again. so Eastern and Western Conference yeah. teams only go to each other's arenas right. once each year, yes. therefore playing so the each one, other So the one return though. game for Ibaka comes early. Um, also, the return game for Jeff Green, not really, no. but kind of. Move along, hey, they sir. Both got, they both got ovations. Move, Jeff Green, move along. Jeff sir. Green got a nice ovation when he was introduced, and then Ibaka got like a way nicer ovation, and then proceeded to have his best game of the year, 31 Best game of his career. Four blocks, hit a game winner, uh, kind of an odd shot, you know, took a, took a dribble right, pump fake, and kind of launched up a little floater. Uh, but that went in, and, and Orlando... Four and six. I they looked horrible through the first week and a half of the year, but they they've been respectable since. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, let me specifically talk about Ibaka. Um, in that, you know, this was a career high in points for him. Thirty-one points per game on that game winner. He was matched up against Stephen Adams. We've been waiting for him to do that his entire career. That was the first glimmer of hope of him being able to take the ball and actually put it in the bucket on his own accord that we've seen out of him maybe his entire career. And so that was awesome. He was super motivated. But coming into this game, Nick, he had not blocked more than two shots per game. And you know what? It's been four years since he averaged three block shots per game. Now, you like to think... Yeah, I know. You're shaking your wait, head. Wait. Oh, he hadn't had more than two blocks in a game? So, yeah, sorry okay, if that was confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, this no. Season, the, he had four blocks in Sunday's game. That was the first time he got higher right. than two per game. If we're talking about, you know, over the course of his career, we always herald him as one of the best shot blockers in the game. It's been four years since he averaged, season average, three block shots per game. I mean, lots of guys are passing him up in terms of shot blocking, so we've always valued him as a major shot blocker. Last year, he didn't even get to two with Oklahoma City, and this year, it looks like he might actually struggle to get to that two block shots per game. Um, Offensively, we're waiting for him to take the jump, but all this is to say, yes, he had a great game Sunday. But that should be his best game of the whole year. He's never going to be more motivated than that. This Orlando front court, they're still trying to figure things out. Yeah, they're a little bit better, I guess, than maybe we thought after the first couple of games. Um, but in terms of solely Ibaka, like this is the best you're going to get. This is not what he's going to do moving forward. I mean, he knew those guys backwards and frontwards. That's as good as you're going to get out of Ibaka. So if you have him, I mean, you know, celebrate now and then get yeah. ready for the rest of it. I, I do wonder, yeah, like what the reason is for the the decline in blocks. I mean, it, I think it's just you know a lot of power forwards that that he's matching up against are more perimeter oriented, not as many opportunities. I mean, he's still the NBA's active leader in blocks per game and block percentage, um, which I'm surprised Hassan Whiteside somehow doesn't have either of those. Um, maybe he's not qualified, but either way, I mean, I think he's still an elite rim protector when given the opportunity. I think like. In, OK, in OKC, he was being drawn away from the basket quite a bit more, and now the same's kind of happening in Orlando as you know he's playing alongside guys like Vucevic and Bayambo, who you don't really want to ask to go out there, and Ibaka, you know, being you know quicker and 
more agile than those two kind of ends up getting those assignments, which just lead to fewer opportunities for blocks. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. I mean, the game has changed since four years ago when he was mm-hmm. playing that position. But, I mean, we're still seeing people like Whiteside, like Rudy right. Gobert do it, and so why can't he, especially when we know he has the talent to yeah. do it? He's only, like, 26 years old. It's not like he's over the hill. He's he's Right now, he's, yeah, he's just 27, 27, just turned 27. So, I mean, it's just kind of funny that when you talk about Serge Ibaka and you give him a preseason ranking and, and, and all that, you know, that all that good stuff, um, he's not one of the elite shot blockers in the league anymore, at least in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Holiday going to be back. It sounds like sometime this week. Uh, he's not going to play on Monday night. It sounds like he could maybe come back Wednesday. Uh, Pelicans are home uh, to the Celtics tonight. They're at Orlando Wednesday and then home to Portland on Friday. I, th- I feel like Friday seems more likely. I mean, not that we really have any say in this. Uh, I guess we'll know, you know, if he's on the team playing to go to Orlando uh, on Wednesday. That'll obviously be a big indication. If he doesn't make that trip, he's obviously not going to play. Uh, this just seems like a situation where you'd want to debut at home, you know, yes. for sentimental reasons, for you know, physical reasons, being ready. Uh, and it, and it kind of works nicely because they're home uh, on Friday and they're home again Saturday. And then you have two days off before you go to Atlanta. So a short trip there too. Yeah, I agree. It's looking like that Friday to Saturday range when they're at home. I don't know why he would debut in Atlanta or in Orlando. Excuse me, it doesn't make much sense. Of course, what's the, what this means? Tim Frazier, who's been very very good this year, is going to move to a bench role and be very very uh, not having much playing time. Obviously, that makes absolutely no sense. But somebody who's a top twenty five fantasy player so far this year, Nick, is going to essentially move into that like. 150 to 200 range and so it, it always comes down to playing time so if you had tim frazier i hope you enjoyed him drew holiday is back and and um you know we're all hoping that he's here to stay for the rest of the season it certainly looks that way let's talk about the team though nick this team is one in nine obviously they're going to be better off with drew holiday even though frazier had been performing very well uh, this team still has a lot of work to do, and I don't think that they were ever a Drew Holiday away from becoming a playoff contending team. Yeah, that's literally exactly how I was going to phrase it. You know, you don't look at this team and say, "Oh man, if they had Drew Holiday, they wouldn't have lost by 27." You know, at <laughs> home to the Lakers the other right. night. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, this is just going to how it's what they what we've seen so far is how this is going to play out. You know, Davis goes for 35, 10, and two. They lose by 15. You know, there's like other there's like other guys. You know, like Tim Frazier's had some games where, you know, I, I think he's a better fantasy player probably than he is a real player right now. Um, you know, even in that Lakers game, you know, Buddy Heald had his best game as a pro. You know, 18 points, like that's great. But when your other four starters outside of Davis, you know, combine for 16 points, that's not going to get it done. Um, I mean, this is a team that's destined for the lottery that needs to absolutely take advantage of that uh, and land another superstar uh, to, to, to pair with Anthony Davis like now, or this is going to be looked back on, you know, in a few years as an all time, like, you know, almost like we've compared many times LeBron and Cleveland. I guess, but LeBron still got those teams to the playoffs and to the championships in some cases. I I don't want to talk about it because, I mean, you can literally rewind every one of our podcasts, but they're more than a Drew Holiday away. They're more than a Tyreek Evans away. I mean, they had Ryan Anderson on this team. They had Eric Gordon on this team. They still weren't successful. So, I mean, Alvin Gentry, you know, we thought he'd be the, you know, an interesting mix to throw at Anthony Davis. Uh, I mean, he was the first iteration of the offensive coordinator, if you will, 
of the Golden State Warriors uh, back a couple years ago. We thought that would be great for Anthony Davis as a stretch four, uh, can do whatever he wants. So far, it hasn't really mattered, has it, Nick? No. Uh, I mean, the thing is, they're still only like four and a half games out of the eight seed. Um, so, I mean, it's, we're still early enough that you can be one and nine, and there's enough parity in spots, you know, like three through 11 in the West that one and nine doesn't kill you. Um, and, you know, of course, the NBA being an 82 game season kind of allows for that. But, I mean, they need to start playing like at least 500 basketball pretty much immediately. You know, um, yeah. And, you know, and obviously at some point you have to start getting above five hundred. But like they can't do, they can't keep the you know, lose nine, win one uh, strategy going right now. And that's uh, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be interesting if they tried it though, and, and see how that works out for them. For months, yeah, uh, for years really, and it hasn't really worked. Um, but I mean, you look at their upcoming stretch. They get Boston at home tonight. Like we said, that's I mean, probably a loss, I guess. Uh, at Orlando Wednesday, that's winnable. Portland probably a loss. Charlotte, uh, yeah, it's not looking good. It's not good for the Pelicans. No, it's not good for them. I uh, they're, I think they're going to have to make some systematic changes looking yep. into next year. So, uh, so you're right. So they don't waste the prime. They're years just in of such Anthony a tough Davis. spot. I think it's easy to criticize the Pelicans because you look at this roster and who you have as the centerpiece of this roster. But like, I don't know exactly what they should be doing. You know, like, well. I mean, Nick, let's let's take last year's team and put it together, and sit, let's say everybody's healthy. So you have Anthony Davis at the five, you had um, Ryan Anderson at the four, Tyreek at small forward at shooting guard, Eric Gordon, and then at point guard, Drew Holiday. That's a good team on paper. That's a good team on paper, but still, like in the Eastern Conference, do you think that they would have been contending against Toronto if those against guys Atlanta? Were healthy- Maybe not, maybe not contending, but they would be a playoff team in the East if all those guys were healthy for eighty to ninety percent of the year. Okay, and that would have been enough for you to say, yeah. "Oh, we don't need any systematic changes here." Well, they're trying; they're they're well, close it enough. Depends. It depends. I mean, there's a lot of like how many? T- there's like all but like three teams in the NBA are pretty much in that zone. You know, we're like I know, yeah. It's just like if you're the Blazers, like I mean, that's a bad example. I don't know the the Hornets will say like. You don't look at that team and be like, man, they need systematic changes. But it's like they kind of do, right? Like they're not going to win a title with yeah. this group. Like you still need that other piece. And like you, there's just not – you know, all 30 teams want to be in the position that the Warriors or the Clippers or the Cavs are in, but it just doesn't happen like that. And like if you're New Orleans, I think you would say like, all right, you know what? Right now we're the fourth best team in the East, even though we're not even in the East <laughs> in this hypothetical situation. Um you know, and we're kind of good with that. And it's like, that's not to say they're complacent. It's just, it's like Portland in a lot of ways. It's like, all right, the alternative is we blow this thing up and maybe there's like this off chance that we, everything falls together and we land like this crazy great player who changes everything. But what we have going right now is pretty good. And that that's the stance that like the Grizzlies have taken, you know, like they know, they knew when they re-signed Mike Conley that he wasn't going to double his production and just yeah. become a top 10 player in the league. But they're like, you know what, this is way better than the alternative of being stuck in limbo and, you know, being like our, our brothers to the south, the Pelicans, that I think you just kind of, you're able to accept that a little bit easier. Yeah, that that's fair. And I, I don't know, I guess the Pelicans, to me, kind of fit that mold. I, I've never really thought of them as them making brash decisions by any means over the last few years. But then again, all it takes is one break here or there, you know, right. Like, it depends. I mean, like, like where the Blazers wouldn't be where they are if McCollum, you know, was a bust, or if right. Lillard and both these guys, small school guys, that you know, in a lot of ways, I think it wouldn't have surprised you if they went either way on draft night. You know. Yeah. No, I completely agree. At at some point, you know, like the Clippers have done the best job they possibly could do yeah. to put themselves in a position, and at some point, you do need to stand po- stand pat. But the Pelicans have to look at themselves and like, mm-hmm. are we even at a stand pat position? No. And I don't think they no, are at all. So at all. I think they should just. 
you know, what the heck? But Systematic like, changes. Like blow it up, but like, what does that even mean for them? You know, it's yeah, like you right. only have like one piece. Like, what are you blowing up? <laughs> well, they should have done it last year, right? Yeah. That was, I mean, they should have moved Gordon. They should have moved right. Ryan Anderson exactly. and got yeah. some young pieces. You know, even if it's a piece like, uh, forgive me, but like Nick Stauskas, right? You, you know, just maybe never know. he could, right, maybe he comes there, his career it just jumps off, and right. I mean, they apparently were looking for a shooting guard because well, they got Buddy healed, and so I mean, you never know. They, sh- they that's what they should have done, and so if we're looking right. retroactively, they messed up. Well, it's right? like if you could, I don't know what it would take, and again, this is super hypothetical. Like if you could have flipped Ryan Anderson at the deadline for like a mid first round, like basically you know like the Markeith Morris deal. Like what did Washington, yeah, give up like the. 11th pick or something like that like mm-hmm. you never know what that's going to be like Devin Booker two years ago was the 13th pick in the draft like yeah. like if the Pelicans you know trade one of those guys and get that pick and get Devin Booker like their team their whole outlook is totally different right now and like they the fact that they just kind of held out got nothing in return for any of those guys and I guess you can call salary relief a return uh, but then they didn't reinvest in it in anything. Yeah, what I mean, what would you be standing on that like, oh, come play with alongside Anthony Davis, somebody who has never gone to the playoffs, has never New proven Orleans himself. Is good food. That mean that would go a long way for has me. Has Anthony Davis made the playoffs? Did they make get in yeah, there as an eight seed? Okay. Well still hasn't gone far in the playoffs, hasn't put the team on his back, yada yada. Um they messed up. I mean, unless they really were out there. There's no like we how many times do we talk about like if this team just had a Ryan Anderson type player? And and they literally had Ryan Anderson to move when twenty teams out there would have really benefited by like an actual Ryan Anderson. Yeah, and it's like yeah, you don't ever want to fault a team for you, you know taking seventy cents on the dollar you know for a guy, but when the alternative is getting nothing at all, uh, this is what your roster looks like the year after. Right. Uh, Cavs Hornets on Sunday. Like I said, didn't get to watch much of this. Caught some of the second half uh, when I got home. This is kind of exactly how I expected it to go, you know, going back and rewatching and then reading the game stories. You know, Cavs just kind of toy with their opponents. Like LeBron, I think, had like, when I checked at halftime, he had like six points, four assists, and like three rebounds or something. And then you're end of the game, you know, 19, 8, and 8, almost a triple double. Played 39 minutes, though. I, I think we keep hearing every year, this is the year they're cutting LeBron's minutes down. And like, <laughs> the Cavs just don't quite play up to their ceiling that they you know, for 100% of games to the point where they're able to rest LeBron all that much. But at the same time, it's it's kind of one of those, like, well, it's never been a problem before. Doctors are telling LeBron he has the body of a 21-year-old, et cetera. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny that you stopped there because that's just a lot to chew on, the body of a 21-year-old. Yeah, um, I read that somewhere, which I don't know how you'd possibly determine yeah, that. I was, I guess like, in I was of, trying In terms to, of, like, wear and tear on your I was your, like, have I points. heard that somewhere before? Did he just make that up? Anyways. Maybe uh, I didn't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you did. Maybe just maybe yeah, you just made it. Maybe you just maybe made it up right now. Cavs, <laughs> so essentially what this comes down to, when we talked about, you know, what's the biggest issue facing each team in the NBA? We went into the Eastern Conference. We did the Western Conference. And for this Cavs team, what I said is, you know, finding motivation day in, day out. It's going to be really hard for them. They, I mean, they have the belt right now, and they're going to be the one seed in the East unless they really let things slip up. But it would be on their own accord. It would be their own fault. If you look at these middle two quarters here, Nick, in yesterday's game, that is Sunday, they scored a combined 39 points because you're right. They just kind of toy with their teams. As long as they're within a reasonable margin, they'll just kick it into gear in the fourth quarter. And some, so some of those minutes that you talk about for LeBron James are kind of the, you know, let's just uh, play it cool here, keep it within reason minutes. They're not the Anthony Davis, you have to literally light your fi- hair on fire for 42 minutes each game and, and just go crazy just to barely eke out a win. Mm-hmm. So the type of minutes 
are way less stressful for LeBron James than they would be for an Anthony Davis or some, you know, take your pick. And, you know, you can go back in years past when there's a big three in Miami, they did a similar thing. Certainly not when he was alone in Cleveland, but when we're talking about minutes, some of those minutes, you know, three quarters of those minutes, you could even say were just the, mm-hmm. uh, let's just keep it within reason minutes. Yeah. So the Cavs were down one heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, and they played They played out all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter with Jordan McRae, Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, uh, LeBron, and who am I missing? Kevin Love, I believe. No, no not Kevin Love. Um, Kyrie? No, Jordan McRae. Okay. Well, you said him twice. Oh, I did? Yeah. Oh, Shumpert. Okay. Shumpert. Sorry, I'm complete, I literally just wrote these down and then lost where I wrote them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, those five played the entire fourth quarter. No Kyrie, no Kevin Love. Wow. Um, and it wasn't like that five, you know, had this great stretch before. Like, they had literally never played together this entire season. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know if Ty Lue just had an inkling or what, but those four closed out the game. LeBron got hot late, uh, hit a couple of big jumpers, a big three uh, late in that game to seal it. So it, this is just one of those, like, kind of reminder games, I think, from the Cavs, where it's like nobody's debating that Charlotte can hang with them, but it's, you know, it's the Cavs saying, all right, there's four minutes left in this game. It could go either way. We're just going to show you that we're the better team. And we, it's, I feel like we saw this happen like 10 times last year against the Raptors and the Celtics and the Pistons. Yeah, take your pick. Any NBA team, really. I mean, 29-21 in the fourth quarter, that's all that matters. They're still 8-1. and one. They're 5-1 and one at home. They're completely yep. fine. And you know what? Charlotte threw the best they had at them. I mean, Walker played 32 minutes, Batum 33 um, Kid Gilchrist, typically, he played 41 minutes. Uh, I mean, they just they just don't stand a chance. Yeah. The Cavs are very good at yep. basketball. So we get Cavs Raptors on Tuesday. They're at Indiana Wednesday, which seems you know very winnable. Detroit on Friday. Portland, uh, and they're off till next Wednesday. They're home against Portland. So uh, you know, things are looking good, I think, for Cleveland to kind of keep this hot start up. Because if you want to go even further out, uh, they end the month of November, you know, home against Dallas, then at Philly, at Milwaukee. Let me ask you something. Are you tired of watching the Cavaliers play Eastern Conference teams? No. I'm I'm way more inspired when they play somebody like the Trailblazers because it just seems like a different technique mm-hmm. that the Cavaliers aren't used to facing um, than they usually are in the East. Like, I feel like the horse has been beaten in the East. Like nobody can come up with a way to beat LeBron, but maybe some teams who only see LeBron and the Cavaliers twice might have a little extra wrinkle to throw at them yeah. that we don't typically see when, you know, you're playing the Pistons, yeah. the Bucks, the Celtics, the I think Bulls. it goes both ways too. You know, it's, it's harder to prep for, you know, the Clippers or the Blazers when you only see them, you know, twice a year and the matchups are spaced out, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't find it necessarily boring just because, you know, I think I like watching just about any NBA basketball, but yeah, I, I can see the argument, you know, where fans, you hear people say, you know, it's not good for the game that LeBron has just owned the East. But I mean, my argument, you know, against that is like, then stop it. You know, like he's not, <laughs> well, I get that. But in terms of an entertainment value, like I, like there, if there are nine games on the slate and Cavs, Bulls are one of them, I'm going to probably be more interested in eight other games on yeah. the slate. Sure. I, most of that is because I like the Bulls are just, you know, horrific. Well, you know, pick I mean, honestly, pick any team out of here besides the Raptors, like whoop de doo. I honestly, even I, the Raptors, I, like they're just, yeah, <laughs> so I know, know. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, the th- the West just has, has more of a cache of like big time superstars. I mm-hmm. think where, 
you know, like technically the Raptors are probably a better team than the Blazers, but like I would much rather watch Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum than I would Lowry and DeRozan. Or I think I think the West is more exciting. I mean, you look yeah, at course. this. I mean, it's been more exciting for like what eight years, probably. I guess, but even when you talk about the younger talent, like the Suns playing yeah. the Cavs is interesting because you got TJ Warren, you've got Booker, yes, um, the Nuggets, like a, a lot of young core. When we look at the same caliber of teams in the East, it's the Knicks and the yeah. Heat and the Pacers, and it's just the young bad teams in the West are. Are exciting and the young yes. bad teams in the east are depressing yeah <laughs> like you watch the like the wizards have like two good players and a couple young guys and mm-hmm. it's just like oh god like i can't watch because you this. know there's no future there yeah. you look at the western conference teams and in four or five years the suns or nuggets can you know turn things yeah. on turn That's things on the head yeah the exciting young players and like the top high-end stars seem to be in the west i mean they Wait, I mean, look at OKC Houston. They are six and seven in the West, and they have like two of the five most fun players to watch. Yeah, six and seven in the East, Boston and Milwaukee. It's like, yeah, you like watching Giannis, and that's kind of it. Like nobody on Boston really gets you all that excited. There's two teams in the West that I don't necessarily care to watch. You know, on the whole, and that would be the Grizzlies, and that would also be the Mavericks. Other than that, like I'm super inspired by everybody else. Yeah. Mavericks I'm, are tough. They're a tough team to watch. Probably, right. probably like the, they're like the Bulls of the West. But, like, if we flip it, like, let's flip the script, look at the Eastern Conference, like, I'm only interested in watching the Cavs, and I hate to say it, like, I'm a fan of NBA basketball, but I'm going to pick, like, 13 Western Conference teams, the Cavs, mm-hmm. and then here comes the rest, everybody else in the East. In terms of exciting, fun basketball to watch, the East is absolutely yeah. devoid of that this year. Okay, um, we got to kind of keep this short, but let's talk to two trade I don't even. We don't even want to dignify these and call them rumors because they're not even rumors at all, really. Uh, but there's interesting. I, I guess technically reports is okay, but uh, Clay Thompson, as of this morning, he was on his way to Boston. Uh, Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and the Brooklyn pick for Clay Thompson is something that was tossed out uh, and basically immediately debunked. I mean, there's there's been rumblings that you know talks have happened, but you know the Warriors aren't interested. Blah blah blah. Again, who really knows what's what's the deal with that? Clay Thompson, I would say probably not getting traded. Uh, the Warriors have looked pretty good. Clay has not looked great individually, but the fact that they're still that you know, good the best, without you know, him, probably still well. the best team in the West, depending on what you think of the Clippers, uh, says a lot, and that's not really unexpected. But I just think it's it's interesting to talk about as just a hypothetical. You know, not not in the context of you know it's going to happen. What does it mean? Like, it's, I think it's just a fun hypothetical because. It's. I think if you're if one if you're another contending team in the league, so like basically if you're the Clippers, Spurs, or Cavs, like this is great, right? Like this is yes. best case scenario. You're three weeks into the year and they're already <laughs> talking about trading one of the core pieces. Well, let's back it up a step here, Nick. And remember when we talked to Kale Shenard of Hawks.com, and you know he said that he really enjoys covering Atlanta because it's not so saturated like a Golden State. Now, I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, but so many reporters, national reporters, have picked up and moved to the Bay Area that that market and that media market is so saturated that it takes quite a bit to get their news story out and out there. And again, I honestly don't even know who reported on this, Clay Thompson. I was busy, um, just like you were this weekend, traveling a little bit myself. But like people are trying to hit home runs because everybody's reporting on the Warriors this year. So this is not the first thing that's going to come in and speculation because, you know, this media, the, the Bay Area media has to try to best each other and they're going to be digging and prying that stuff that came out about Draymond Green. Like this team is going to be absolutely exposed at all times this year. And so for me, a lot of it is not going to mean too much mm-hmm. because it's always been there and it's 
that stuff is there for other teams. You just don't have every single national reporter there trying to dig and find stuff. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting to talk about a Clay Thompson trade, but I mean, just you know, fasten your seatbelt. We're gonna hear lots of stuff like this coming out of the Bay Area all season long. Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, it's the same way with Miami too. Like any. Anytime someone has an off game, anytime there are, you know, harsh words exchanged between players at any point in the game, even if it just looks like something like that happened, like, you know, this is everybody's just going to fire up the takes. Uh, and that's kind of where this comes from. But I, I think the trade structure that was reported, and again, reported is probably a strong term. But Who reported? I'm just curious. I, I honestly don't know. I think Brian Scalabrini was involved. Okay. He's got a uh, morning it was, exemption. It was coming out of Boston, you know, like, and it, okay. again, it wasn't like this is happening. It was like these, yeah. there, this has been, you know, talked about, blah, blah, blah. Crowder and Bradley and the Brooklyn pick for Clay Thompson, who at this point you'd be buying low on, uh, but you know it's Clay Thompson. We've seen him play really well for several years. Yeah, uh, that that almost seems like a little much, you know. Like Avery Bradley, you're buying way <laughs> high on. Jay Crowder is hurt right now, but he's you know he's Jay Crowder. Yeah, and then like the Brooklyn pick, people are freaking out about the Brooklyn pick. Like I read something today about like, do the Celtics need to trade it now before you know before it loses value? It's like the Nets. Yeah, they're four and five, but like they're still the Nets. I don't mind that pick because this Boston team need need to thin out. Small forward would be a perfectly fine place for them to do that because Marcus Smart has been playing small forward in place of Jay Crowder. You also have Jalen Brown, who that might be end up being his most uh, you know his most valued position in the next couple of years as he matures in the league. Um, you're essentially changing Clay Thompson for Avery Bradley. If we're going to look at their careers and you know. Um, uh, compare them, then you're going to take Clay Thompson all day long. I mean, Bradley's a very good perimeter defender, but we kind of forgotten how good Thompson is. I mean, he's right up there with Avery Bradley. So, and Boston, Boston gives away a pick too. Right. Okay, the, yeah, the that's probably the tipping point. Um, well, it would, uh, from what I heard, it was you could swap picks. So it's like Boston's like would just get Golden State's pick or whatever, but like that doesn't matter um, I, the pick is necessary though to get rid of clay because like you're trending down with avery bradley do you need jay crowder i don't really know why you would necessarily need yeah, him i think you just want more depth yeah, i think the golden state sees the bench as a weakness they see defense as a weakness although you know clay has traditionally been a good defender weakness is so funny that we're tossing that word around with him but i know you're right they've got to shore things up i i wouldn't man. do it if i was golden state and I, I just think it's it's just an interesting scenario whether there's any truth to it whatsoever or not. I think it's just it's interesting to consider. You know, they're undoubtedly getting deeper, but you're losing your best. You know, who was your best catch and shoot guy? You know, hasn't been through ten games or whatever. Um, but this just just seems like a panic move from a team that is in no real need to panic. You know, you're completely right. They don't need to panic at all. They're they're completely fine. But I tell you what. I absolutely love that that panic meter is now present, that like it's within the realm of discussion and the, within the realm of possibility. Uh, I would like, just like in the East, I would hate for the Warriors to just take this thing and completely run with it. I'm so thankful that they haven't done that quite yet. So, uh, as much I'm gonna, as much as I'll criticize, you know, just digging and prying as hard as you can because there's so many people around and you're trying to scoop a score, story or something like that. Yeah, I think that's what this is. It's like you said, you know, even it's not 
necessarily people who like pick up and move to the Bay Area to cover this team. It's just like everyone wants a piece of this Warriors team. So like if you're yeah. a national guy, like this is what you're talking about. You're having people on to talk about them. We talk about it. Right. I mean, like, it's yeah. it it goes you know, all the way around. You know, heavy, I'm not heavy clout journalists like ourselves. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. I'll just say I love the possibility right. of even talking about it and us theorizing about it that they're not 100 uh, right. that you know they're not 100 enough there's a little crack in the armor where we could say hey you know is this actually right. a better setup for them i love that that it's discussion is yeah. even possible very interesting um demarcus cousins uh i've you know we i shouldn't even say i we everyone is it, it trade seems inevitable at some point uh you know anonymous nba executive told the sporting news i believe it was that you know, his time in Sacramento is finally ticking down, that he'll be moved before the deadline, that, you know, three months tops, I think is the quote from a, an anonymous Western Conference GM. Uh, not really of any surprise to me. It's like the Kings looked like really kind of good for a week, and now they're back to being the Kings. They're, you know, it's just, just how every year seems to play out where they look encouraging for like six or seven games, and then you, you know, you kind of forget about them for a few weeks. You check the standings, and they're all of a sudden like four and fourteen. Where do we want them to go? Like just for fun, just for entertainment. Like obviously, the first team you have to mention is Boston. Yep. Do you think that he met? Do you think that he would mix well with Al Horford? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Horford is kind of the ideal guy to pair with like just about anyone. Right? But like I mean, defensively, could you have both of those guys on the court? Cause I mean, that's a lot of clout to push around and, and bench one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not I mean, talking about Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic. Right. We're talking about DeMarcus Cousins and Al Horford. It's not like you can bench one of those guys right. because it's not working yeah, out. That is true. It's, yeah. It's just, you know, who do you ask to chase around Kevin Love or who do you ask to guard Kevin Durant? You know, it's, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a decision they would have to make. I think I think you'd probably end up kind of having to bench one of them. Um, but that's something you just. I think if you're the Celtics, like that's the least of your concerns. You know, it's just kind of this is your chance to get a star. Um, you know, I, it it's tough to build scenarios because one Sacramento, like you never know what they'd take back. Like I talk about this with James, <laughs> like all the time. We're always I'm always sending him like Demarcus Cousins hypotheticals, and he always responds with. Kings would never do that. Kings would never do that. And like, it's the Kings, man. Like, they would do anything. Like, you never know. Like, they might, they might just take like a second round pick for him. Um, so that's that. Like, throws another wrench into this because it's like it's just this like weird franchise that might do whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if Cousins ever becomes legit, like legitimately available, and you know, clearly judging by these quotes from a, a GM, there are teams out there that believe he is. You know, a lot of places are going to open up. Um, Could he be packaged with Rudy Gay? Have we talked about this? Yeah, I don't think so because that would be just an enormous amount of salary. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look and it I up don't just because I'm curious. Rudy Gay either. <sighs> yeah, we have. Okay, we have talked about this. Yeah, we talked about it on the last pod. Yeah, we did. Okay, Boston, Denver. Um, I think Milwaukee. Nah, it would sniff around. I think they would. We're talking about Gay now. No. Oh, Cousins. Milwaukee would sniff around, wouldn't be able to offer enough. I think Orlando, I think, ooh, man, I don't, I wonder if like, if the Knicks would do like Mellow or if the Kings would do Mellow because they think Mellow's better than Cousins. I don't know. Like, see, these are the scenarios that become like in play when yeah. the Kings are involved. <laughs> okay, so DeMarcus Cousins is making 15.7 this year, and next year he's on the books. There's no options on this, 16.7. So, I mean, in today's market, that is super valuable where he could fit into, uh, you know, a super power team. Rudy Gay, just to 
uh, Tyler Sens here, 13.3 this year, and the next year is a, he's a player option for 14.2. No matter where he ends up, if he gets traded, I think he's going to decline that because he can be making more. So the odds of those two guys getting paired together, very unlikely, but at least you would probably know that Rudy Gay would become a free agent, so you yeah. wouldn't be committing yourself to both of those players. Um, just a thought. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers have a lot of just kind of random depth. I don't think they would have enough to get it done. Like, you just have to remember, like, even though I joke about the Kings, like, when you're trading a top 10 player like DeMarcus Cousins, like, you just have to be willing to part with assets that you really like in return. And, like, you, you know, you see these fake hypothetical deals that are thrown out, you know, on Twitter and stuff. And no fan base ever, like, you always want to be able to get these guys without giving up guys that you like. But, it, like, it just does not work that way in a deal like this. So. Um, you know, we'll see. There's like, we, there's only a handful of teams that really have the assets, at least on paper, to get it done. I mean, Phoenix is one we haven't mentioned. Right. Well, what's funny? I I love that you said Portland. You know whose salary matches straight up with Demarcus Cousins because of today's market? Alan Crabb. I I know that's not crazy, but like if, but because because you have to match salaries. I mean, Portland could make right. that deal, well, and they would love to have like obviously straight up for Alan Crabb. No, obviously you'd have to do more. But when <laughs> no, we're yeah. talking, but matching I mean, you'd salaries, have to give up like McCollum probably. I know, but like when we're talking about matching salaries, that becomes an issue that rules out a lot of other teams in the league realistically. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, McCollum is on a good deal too. He's on like three point two this year, twenty three next year. Um, but I, I mean, like there's some teams that you just have to rule out because it, they just can't compile enough guys together to match the salary of cousins. Yeah. I, I wonder about the Cavs. like, not that they would, wow. would do this, but like, I don't, I don't know what they, they, I think they have some like restrictions on what they can do being a, a luxury tax team. And I'll, I'll read into this and we can talk about it on the next pod, but like, would you do like love and I don't know, Felder and like a couple picks? Not that Kay Felder is like the tipping point in this deal, but you know. Well, I mean. yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that you have to have in the back of your head if you're Sacramento, like you have to know that Cousins is not coming back in two years when he comes a free agent. Yeah. So if you could lock yourself into Kevin Love, that you know you'd have for uh, two more years, you'd only so basically you'd get him, be getting one more year of Love with a player option that he'd have in 2019-20, and then you'd get a young upstart Kay Felder who, let's be honest, in a couple years he may not even be in the NBA. He's looking looking decent so far, but he's not he's not going to push the trade over the needle. I don't think he's not going to push the needle on a trade like that. I don't, the the crazy thing is it's not like one particular team where like you got to make this trade with it. Like it's so it makes so so much sense. It's like who the heck knows? And then you've got that X factor with just mm-hmm. being the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, and Cousins is unique because he's you know he's a superstar. But like he's not a proven winner. Like you know, he's not. You're not bringing in like LeBron or Durant, where you just no matter what, everyone's deferring to this guy because he's so good. And like Cousins is, you know, that good on a lot of nights. But he's, I think it would be hard if to pair him, you know, with another superstar. And you know, it would just have they would have to match personality wise. There, there, there's just other factors with Cousins. Even though it, I do think like his behavioral issues are way overblown. Yeah, you know, especially he's been pretty good. You know, he's been kicked out of some games. And things like that, but like I, I still think he's treated as this like totally a crazy wild card volatile guy, and like that's not necessarily the case. But you still have to think about how he fits basketball wise. Yeah, and if he's going to lose a ton of games, who wouldn't be volatile? Right. You're exactly. paid to win games, that's and you're not thing. able to do it. For you're this, not- given the situation, he's been about as good as you could hope. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's wrap it up. Um, parting thoughts. 
Parting thoughts. I love that we have real stuff to chew on. We essentially had a whole podcast of grab bag, real legitimate item and items. We didn't have um, some quirky theme to it whatsoever, which we love the themes, but it's, it's fun to talk about real, uh, you know, like real stuff. We're 10, nine games into the yeah. season. We can, it's we can, like, we're very close to the point where we can stop saying, I know it's only been six games. But yeah. Like, like <laughs> yeah. Once we get to like 15, 20 games, we'll right. finally be able to just talk about things in a more concrete manner. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it for today. Uh, we'll be back either Tuesday or Wednesday. Even an open-ended, a little bit of a mystery pod. Woo! The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.